0: you're listening to the Pursuit of Christ podcast, where we are passionate about developing a deeper relationship with Jesus. The Pursuit of Christ podcast is a ministry of Arise Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. If you would like to contact us or have questions about our podcast, we can be reached via email at info at arisebaptistchurch.org. Now here's James Collard with today's challenge from Scripture. I've had a couple of conversations over the past two weeks, and uh, the basic theme has been this. I, I'm saved, but I'm struggling with guilt over past sin in my life. And that could be either sin pre-conversion or, or sin after conversion. But uh, it's just this feeling of hey, the things that we've done are so bad. Can God really forgive what we've done? Or am I just going to be strapped with these feelings of guilt for forever? Does the Bible have an answer? Does Scripture have help for me? And today I want to take just a few minutes and I want to unpack this idea of um, guilt and, and what we as believers can do to fight for grace in our lives and to fight against the condemnation of guilt over past sin. I think we need to recognize that guilt is a universal experience and as believers we struggle with our former sin nature and we wage war against it. In Galatians chapter five, verses sixteen and seventeen, Paul reminds us that the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit lusteth against the flesh. So there is this there is this eternal struggle that won't that won't be rectified until our glorification. And and we have lost battles and we do struggle with feelings of guilt over former sins. So what does the Bible have to say? Well, I think that – I first want to take just a couple of minutes and I want to talk through the causes of guilt. I think that there are three causes. And the first is it's rooted in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's John chapter 16 and verse 8 when it tells us that the Holy Spirit reproves of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So there is conviction of sin and that is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. So, when we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that. There are feelings of guilt that are there, and the Holy Spirit uses those to bring us back into reconciliation with God. I think the second cause of guilt is rooted in our conscience. And the conscience is an internal radar system that aligns itself with our values. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul talks about the law of God that is written on our hearts, and that is given to every man. Every man has a conscience. Now, we do have to be aware that our conscience is only trustworthy when it's informed and ruled by God. And if our values are not aligned with God's truth, our conscience can easily lead us astray. And so we have to be consistently bringing our conscience back into alignment with the Word of God to making sure that our value system aligns with God's value system. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 when Satan comes to Eve in the Garden of Eden and he says, Hath God said? And Eve is deceived and she's led astray and she commits sin. And that's why the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119 and verse 11, he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So there is this constant realignment that is happening. And if we are passionately pursuing Jesus Christ... If our conscience is aligned with uh, with what God has said and with His Word, then to willfully act against our conscience is sin. In, in Romans chapter fourteen and verse twenty three, it says, "Whatsoever is of faith, or whatsoever is not of faith, is sin." And so we have to be aware that if we are passionately pursuing Christ and if we are consistently bringing our conscience into alignment, that to violate our conscience is sin. R.C. Sproul puts it this way. He says, If we do something that we think is sin, even if we are misinformed, we are guilty of sin. We are guilty of doing something we believe to be wrong. We act against our consciences. So, I mean, some people may, may have um, convictions in their life, even though they're not explicitly stated in Scripture. I mean, I'm thinking things along, you know, music standards or, or things along those lines. And there, there are some gray areas there in Scripture. And some people have convictions in different areas and their conscience has helped to lead them to those convictions. And for them to violate their conscience in that, in that case would be sin. And so that's why Paul takes texts like 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 and Romans chapter 14. And he talks about how do we as believers disagree with one another when we come to these gray areas? How can we still fellowship together even when there may be a little bit of disagreement? So we have to be aware of that. And so if we violate our conscience, that will cause guilt in us. And finally, we have to recognize that we have enemies that consistently want to bring guilt and condemnation into our lives. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That term is used in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. And he often seeks to remind us of our faults and of our failures. And if you look at the book of Job in chapter 1, we see Satan come into the throne room of God and accuse Job and say, if you curse Job and if you take away the possessions that he has, he won't worship you. He's just in it for the money, and God allows Satan to tempt Job and test Job, and we see Job's incredible response through the book. And so really, the three causes of guilt are Holy Spirit conviction, um, our, our, our own consciences, the value systems that God has given to us, the internal radar system that we have, and recognizing that we are engaged in spiritual warfare, and we have enemy combatants that want us to walk in guilt and want us to live in condemnation. So how then do we, do we, do we take—so we, we know these things, right? So how do we take these and how do we fight against guilt? Well, it starts with the truth of the gospel. And, and nothing that I'm going to say here is, is new, uh, is probably new to you. But I just really, really quickly want to walk through the truths of the gospel and remind us about who we were and about what Christ has done. So the Bible clearly tells us that we were sinners. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6, 23, because of our sin, what we have earned, what we are deserved, the word that the King James uses is wages. The wages of our sin is death. That's spiritual death, eternal separation from God. We were dead in our unrighteousness and we were underneath the wrath of Almighty God. And then Christ came. And Christ came and he didn't just come and die for our sins. He did do that. But Christ also came and lived a perfect and sinless life. We call that the active obedience in Jesus, of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, it talks about how Christ came and he put an end to the law because he perfectly kept it for us. So when Jesus Christ went and he died on the cross for our sins, he paid our sin debt. Passed present, and future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says that God was made sin for us. Jesus Christ was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we, sinful men, might be made the righteousness of God in him. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So when God looks at me in his court, he no longer sees an unjust sinner, but rather he sees somebody whose debt has been paid in full. But not only has that debt been paid in full, but we are also, we have the righteousness of Christ that has been put into our bank account. In Romans chapter 4, verses 22 through 25, it talks about how Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him. That's an accounting term. It talks about how Abraham's faith led Christ's righteousness to be placed in his account. And then he says that example wasn't just for Abraham. It's for all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if we have been saved, it is not just that our sin debt is paid for, but now the righteousness of Christ has been placed into our account. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinful individual. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we were saved, Jesus Christ did something incredible for us. He changed our position we were underneath the wrath and the condemnation of God, but now there's a transformation that has taken place. Paul really unpacks this in Galatians, but he talks about how we were slaves to our sins, but now we have been justified. Not just justified, we have been adopted. We have been made sons, and not just sons, but we have been made heirs of God. And, and, and God calls us saints. He calls us holy ones. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul says to the saints which are in Corinth. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Corinthians, you know that through the rest of that book, Paul is wrestling through difficult issues with the church in Corinth. They were taking one another to court. There was sexual immorality in the church. They didn't understand how to get along with one another. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. And yet Paul calls them saints. And then through the rest of the book, he says, now become the person that God has made you. So, we have to recognize that because we are saved, we are positionally, we have been changed. We are saints. We are holy. And our calling now is to grow up into the person that God has called us to be. That's why he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he said, He who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And in verses 12 and 13 of, of Philippians chapter 2, Paul highlights our responsibility. He says, "Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." And so the, the truth of the gospel is that we were sinners. Christ paid the for, paid the penalty for our sin. He gave us his righteousness. We are now saints, and we are called to become the person that he has made us. So when we struggle with guilt, when we look at our past sin and say, can God really forgive that? The answer when we look at the truth of the gospel is unequivocally yes, God can forgive. The problem for us is that we don't always feel forgiven. And we so we wrestle with our own sinfulness and our own frailty. So how do we fight for grace? How do we fight for grace? Well, let me give you four thoughts. The first way that we fight for grace is we have to differentiate between conviction and condemnation. Let me explain what I mean by condemnation. Condemnation is guilt over past sins that are under the blood. And what this does is it hampers our relationship with God because it's incredibly self-focused and it's not Christ-focused because condemnation, is it's, it's vague. It's a feeling of ongoing shame that we, can't, that we can't pinpoint. So I look back at some of the things that I've done and I remember some of my own sinfulness and I look back at that and I say, James, you are such a knucklehead. But what, is that? what does that do? It, it, it's, it's about me and it's about my problems and my issues. It doesn't point me back to Christ and the gospel. It just directs me back to myself and to my sinfulness. And there's no help there. It's vague. It's also hateful. Sin, or Satan loves to use guilt and condemnation to steal our joy and burden us. And Satan is actively looking to resist us and accuse us. And condemnation is a hateful tool that he uses. Condemnation also, it makes us feel like a lost cause. I remember uh, when we look at the book of Job in Job chapter 2 and verse nine, and, and Job's wife comes to him and she says, "What are you doing?" She says, "Just curse God and die." And if we give heed to the condemnation in our life, it makes us feel as though we are a lost cause. But we have to recognize that condemnation is always a lie. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is always a lie. So what then is conviction? Well, conviction is essentially the expressed opposite of condemnation. Conviction brings clarity. Do you remember the story of David? Uh, When Saul comes and he hides in the cave, or Saul comes to take a nap in the cave where David and his men are hiding? And David comes and he cuts a piece of, off of the hem of Saul's robe. And David is smitten in his heart because it was though he had struck the Lord's anointed. He was convicted, but that conviction was clear. He absolutely knew what he had done. And in the same way in our hearts and in our lives, when there's true Holy Spirit conviction, it is clear. We know what we have done and we are called to repent of it. Secondly, it always brings us back to a place of help and correction. If you look at Psalm chapter 51, this is after Nathan comes to David after his sin with Bathsheba. And he points at David and he says, you are the man. And David writes Psalm 51 and there is strong conviction and there is a brokenness that is there. But it brings David back to a place where he can receive help and correction, and reconciliation, and restoration. So conviction always brings help and correction. And finally, conviction always brings hope. Remember in John 21, when uh, when the Lord has he, he's risen from the dead, Peter has taken the disciples out fishing, and the Lord comes, and he tells them, cast your nets in on the other side. And they do, and then they recognize, they, they, they catch all these fish, and they recognize it's the Lord. And Peter dives into the water. He comes and he swims to the Lord Jesus Christ. And three times Christ asks Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me? And Peter's heart is broken. And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. There is conviction that is there. The Lord didn't let Peter off the hook. I mean, there is definite, definite conviction. But there is also hope in the sense that Peter was not a lost cause. We flip over just a couple of pages and we look at Acts chapter 2. And it's Peter that stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches, and 3,000 people place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Conviction brings hope because we're not a lost cause. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And God is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, first, we need to differentiate between conviction and condemnation. Secondly, we need to confess any sins that need to be confessed and walk in righteousness. First John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we have to remember that time does not confess our sins. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 tells us that whoso covereth his sins shall not prosper. And if we just say, ah, we messed up and we sweep our sins under the rug, that is not true confession. Confession means that we see our sin the same way that God sees it. We, we tell him, we confess it to him, we ask his forgiveness, we see it the same way. We ask for forgiveness and we seek restoration and reconciliation. So confession is active. So We can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it didn't happen. But I'm thankful that we serve a God who forgives and chooses not to remember. In Psalm chapter 103 and verse 12, it talks about how he has separated our sins as far as the East is from the West. And our forgiveness is not rooted in feeling. It is rooted in fact. It is rooted in the words of scripture and in the character of God himself. So you say, I don't feel it. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what God has says and it matters who God is. And so if we believe in the unchanging character of God, and if we believe that what he has said in his word is true, then we can take refuge in the fact that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive. I would say, thirdly, in our fight for grace, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. It is central to our justification, our sanctification, and our future glorification. And the clearest example to me of where we preach the gospel to ourselves in scripture is found in Romans chapter 8 verses 33 through 39. Paul in Romans chapter 6 and 7 in the first half of 8 has been struggling and he's wrestling through this whole idea of the process of sanctification and he comes down and he says who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ who died, yea, rather than is risen again. What can separate us from the love of God? And Paul is taking those marvelous gospel truths and he's taking them from his head and he's driving them deep into his heart. And we have to work hard to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need the gospel every day. We need the grace of God. And, and we have to recognize that we have to get the gospel from where it is in our head. We have to drive it deep into our soul and walk in the grace and in the forgiveness that God provides. Finally, I would just encourage you to rest in the promises of God. If we confess, God forgives. 1 John nine. if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. God is also abounding in mercy. He tells us that in Psalm 86 and verse 5. He is long-suffering. His mercies are new every morning. And I think we also have to recognize that repentance is a gift from God. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul talks about the fact that, that repentance is a gift from God to us to bring us back into restoration and reconciliation with himself. So we have to fight for grace, differentiate between conviction and condemnation, confess any sins that need to be confessed and walk in righteousness, preach the gospel to yourselves on a daily basis and rest in the promises of God. May God help us to be individuals that don't walk in guilt, but walk in grace. I'd encourage you, if this has been a blessing and an encouragement to you, or even if you say, man, this doesn't really apply to me right now, I'd encourage you to take it and share it with somebody else because if if this isn't your struggle right now, you probably know somebody who is walking through this struggle with guilt. And I hope that it's a blessing for you. I hope it'll be a blessing to the individuals that you share it with. And and our challenge is that God would would help us to be individuals who don't wallow in, in our guilt, but to be individuals that live in victory and in the radical grace that God has provided. May God bless you and we'll see you next week.